You are listening to The Dish on Health IT, brought to you by Point of Care Partners, a leading health IT consultancy. Each episode will feature a rotating panel of senior consultants and guests who will talk about trends and innovations in health IT, while also highlighting how organizations can leverage these advances to solve their business problems. This episode features Charles Chuck Jaffe, CEO of Health Level 7, or HL7, the standards organization responsible for FIRE. Hosts Ken Kleinberg and Jocelyn Keegan talk with Dr. Jaffe about interoperability standards, how the FIRE Accelerator Program is transforming how the industry solves problems, and other riveting topics. We hope listening to this episode was helpful and that you'll share your topic ideas with us by emailing us at podcast at POCP.com. Hello, welcome everyone to The Dish on Healthcare IT, our point of care partners podcast. I'm Ken Kleinberg, the practice lead for innovative technologies at point of care partners and your host. We're health IT consultants and we tackle some of the most interesting, exciting and challenging topics in healthcare IT. We do that through interviews with exciting industry guests. I'm joined today by my colleague and co-host, Jocelyn Keegan, and we're both excited to have with us Charles Chuck Jaffe, the CEO of Health Level 7 International. And before we meet Chuck, I'd like Jocelyn to say a couple of words about herself and why she's excited about our call with Chuck today. Jocelyn? Awesome. Thanks, Ken. Um, Jocelyn Keegan, I'm here in Boston, and I am the payer practice lead at Point of Care Partners. Um, I'm a devotee to uh, positive change and building and getting stuff done. I also happen to be the program manager for what started as a really conceptual idea of copying the great work that came out of the Argonaut Project and uh, in HL7 with this idea that we could do for payers and providers what Argonaut had done for freeing patient data out of EHRs to really deliver the clinical data needed for value-based care and interoperability to really happen um, that's become DaVinci. I've been in place uh, in my world there for about four years. And um, I think we're likely, Chuck, keep me honest, the largest fire accelerator to date. And we've been learning together, commiserating together and laughing with Chuck and the team at HL7 over the last four years as we've been moving the industry forward and uh, really leveraging and unfurling the power of fire. And uh, I'm actually just thrilled to be here and hear Chuck's perspective um, on all the topics today. All right. Thank you. So now let's welcome our guest, Charles Chuck Jaffe, the CEO of Health Level 7 International. Chuck, you've got an amazing background with your work as a researcher, as a professor, and your experience with uh, digital health, with pharma, and now at the top of the mountain with interoperability. If you could just say some words about how you arrived at this awesome position, that'd be great. Thanks, Ken and Jocelyn. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for inviting me to share some ideas with your audience. Yes, I have had a checkered career. After uh, medical school, I, I went to graduate school in what was vaguely called computer science, but why would a doctor ever want a computer? I spent my youth at NIH largely focused on uh, immunology and oncology. I later involved myself in uh, years of uh, specific patient care and clinical research uh, before I joined AstraZeneca as its first global head of medical informatics and then on to uh, SAIC as the VP for the large uh, biomedical community and uh, later to Intel to leave some of their strategy work 
in the digital health group. Uh, since then, my journey has taken me to HL7, where I've had the distinct honor of working with some of the most extraordinary people, both uh, brilliant minds and enjoyable colleagues. About a decade ago, I, I was introduced to the concept that soon was to become FIRE. Graham Grieve, who introduced the work at our Fresh Look Task Force, had been involved in HL7 activities and the standards development world for much of his career, uh, but found that the opportunities to invoke the emerging technology of APIs, application programming interfaces, provided a unique opportunity. Uh, Ten years earlier, I had read a remarkable blog about the API economy and its impact on all of uh, transactional processes within not only information uh, arena, but also travel, commerce, banking, and so forth. And its transition to healthcare provided a remarkable opportunity. Uh, since then, FIRE has been on a trajectory uh, that has accelerated beyond at least my greatest expectations. And so bringing it to the fore and sharing some of these ideas with you is an exciting next step. Yeah, thanks. Uh, for sure, FIRE is a very exciting topic today at the center of interoperability, and it's gained a lot of traction, some of that driven by regulation. Could you speak to what FIRE means for point-to-point -point interfaces? FIRE was first envisioned as a uh, vehicle for sharing data between a single patient record and a single provider record. So as uh, to circumvent the awkward and often cumbersome processes that had established HL7 standards as uh, the most widely used process in the world, but didn't really envision the future of how we were going to manage data. It would no longer be a simple push environment, but we had the capabilities of individuals using data within a clinical record to establish a host of other capabilities, other uses, and provide really the foundation for the future of the uh, learning health system. And so, what began as a point-to-point -point solution has grown enormously as uh, FIRE has embraced these other capabilities. Sure seems that FIRE is uh, also an opportunity for organizations to connect as an on-ramp to regional and national networks. Jocelyn, what uh, were your thoughts about Chuck's response about point-to-point? Well, I mean, I think it's really interesting because I think that the thing that's been surprising to me, I think, from really being sort of aware of FIRE as an emerging standard, you know, probably eight or nine years ago, we were trying to figure out what we were doing with CCDAs in a former former role and sort of what is this FIRE thing? Is it real? And watching sort of the ease and the youth by just any developers to be able to pick it up and be able to implement quickly I think was sort of surprising, a pleasant surprise of being able to say, how can we do better, faster, and get the right data in the right place at the right, right time? I think that we're building on that. Um, and I think that to Chuck's point, what has been a pleasant surprise coming out of it is it's not just about that single patient level interaction. And I think one of the things that's been really interesting, and I think will probably segue us into the conversation about the convening work that's happening in the fire community is I think that this approach from the very beginning to say, what are the business challenges and the use cases 
to focus in on that could really allow us to unlock data at the point in time in workflow that it's most needed or to alert someone to data being available, whether that's at a patient or a population level or a summary level, that capability that comes out of those end-to-end, point-to-point connections, I think is incredibly valuable. But I also think that it, I I would say we've been pushing on sort of a, a purist view of it um, of, you know, it requires going to enable us to let everybody be point to point in really understanding that we will still leverage sort of the existing infrastructure and the existing tools that we have to really get to everybody in the healthcare system. And that in some ways, it's not just about fire native by itself, but it's fire coupled with either existing rails or fire coupled with existing standards to augment in addition to just pure native fire applications, being able to solve, you know, just that one-to-one patient-to-patient or um, patient-specific data exchange. I learned that almost a decade ago when I gave a presentation and uh, a member of the audience stood up and said, we have a uh, complex infrastructure. We began to see how fire could augment that. And our first instance of uh, fire development took us almost uh, two months to develop, and, and you called it fast. And then we realized, well, the second one took us two weeks. Right. And they brought uh, fire to the fore as a capability to augment existing infrastructure. And I think as it continues to mature, it will serve that in an increasingly uh, important role. I think, and Ken, if you don't mind, if you'll amuse me for one minute, I think this is a really important point because I think that to me, um, I use always use the analogy of my iPhone. My husband bought me an iTouch probably the first year they were available, second year they were available. And I was like, it's kind of interesting. I can get to my calendar and I can look at my email when I'm on a hotspot someplace. And yeah, I guess when I update my phone, I'll get the iPhone, but I'm still really not sure what all these apps are for. And I'm not really sure how many apps I'm going to actually put on my phone versus fast forward now 15 years later. And, you know, I live and drive my life off of my phone and my email and every other aspect because I have these API capabilities. So to me, the importance that Chuck is getting at here, and I think early adopters are seeing, and now people that have sort of, I would say, wrapped or driven that new development with a fire infrastructure is this ability to get to the secondary, the tertiary, the fourth, and the fifth use of the same information in different ways to different end users inside of an organization and with strategic partners. And that is that it's the unexpected things that you can now do that were just off the table because you were never going to get the budget approved to be able to do the work. All right. Thanks, Jocelyn. So standards, uh, as wonderful as they are, will only have value if they're implemented. Chuck, could you share some of your experiences with uh, the programs that you've seen used successfully to drive implementation? I'm thinking of your re-envisioning initiative, for example. Uh, long before the re-envisioning effort uh, started, the standards world embraced fire slowly. It was uh, a new way of idealizing interoperability. It really was a challenge to envision a a moment in which data could be seamlessly exchanged without some of the uh, cumbersome activities that we had embraced. By and large, those communities have come to realize that the concept of uh, an API and the ease with which it's deployed makes interoperability incrementally more seamless. 
the reuse of uh, data, the capabilities that that data provides have convinced large swaths of communities that need that data that the API instance of FIRE is a remarkable solution for accomplishing it. It wasn't so much a matter of persuasion as the evidence began to grow as organizations adopted FIRE as uh, federal agencies within the United States and in uh, large healthcare systems outside the United States began to recognize that capabilities that FIRE enabled were really a small segment of what APIs were capable of achieving. And as that has grown, we have less uh, to do about convincing and more to do about sharing our experiences and our best practices. I used to ask at meetings, had you ever heard of HL7? And then have you ever heard of FIRE? And now I ask the audience to raise their hand if they have active FIRE implementation programs. And all of that has been a journey. And I'm excited about uh, what the future will bring as new capabilities for FIRE are recognized. Thanks, Chuck. You know, on this uh, collaboration topic, sometimes you hear people refer to uh, the challenge of herding cats. And I'm thinking that with these standards, uh, you've got kittens, you've got lions, uh, maybe even uh, some foxes and elephants. How do you manage uh, the collaboration across so many different types of stakeholders? Yeah, I never embraced biology 101, but I always uh, remembered that elephants wearing cats. Having said that, the elephant in the room is uh, change management. Part of uh, recognizing that there are so many sunk costs in legacy systems and legacy technologies. The old adage uh, from Henry Ford was that if I wanted to satisfy my customers, I would have built a faster horse. We, we don't continue to uh, recognize the old technologies, although no one would be surprised if I said, I'm going to dial up that company or that organization, knowing that a dial phone is a legacy of decades ago. But we don't have to have a dial phone in every house in order to uh, recall that that's what we mean by dial. The important part is that we have an opportunity to look ahead, to see the legacy systems as an important foundation upon which we'll only build uh, more opportunity. There'll be a greater capabilities in the future when we recognize that these old systems and these old applications serve as uh, a foundation and the future is ahead of us. Jocelyn, you've been on the front lines of collaboration. What are your thoughts of uh, what makes success here and uh, any comments on, on Chuck's response? I mean, I, I think that Chuck's right on, and I think that it, it is a, these are business transformation topics, right, that we're discussing. This isn't about the technology. Fire is an enabler. And I think that one of the reasons we've seen this flood, I think, in the last couple of years of folks into the fire community and into the accelerators is that there was really just unmet demand to be able to solve these you know, what seem on the surface to be simple problems of data exchange inside of these complex partners. 
But I think that there's the there's two activities that need to happen. There's one thing that says I'm going to adopt a new technology, and that te technology may or may not, you know, make things easier, be less resource intensive, be more fit for purpose. But there's a second piece that says I'm going to transform the way that I work. And this isn't just about getting a faster widget. It's really about you know moving from large batch systems into more real-time interaction. Business partners literally making a decision to say, we're not going to deal with each other on a daily basis, an every four-hour basis, a weekly or a monthly basis. We're going to literally create access points across all of our interactions as business partners. And we're going to behave more like one entity as we work together, whether it's caring for patients, whether it's getting access to clinical trials. So I think that this idea of focusing on the business problem and acknowledging that these are changing the way that we work together and that FIRE is an enabler to do that, I think really, I think it's at the heart of sort of this growth in the community and the ability for us to see the traction that we're seeing and the recognition to Chuck's earlier points that, you know, it's this is a great example of where the industry is leading and instead of what's happened in the past, which is, you know, sort of CMS or HHS or ONC sort of dragging people into moving and adopting new technologies that we're now having conversations about raising, you know, the floor or raising the ceiling to allow people to adopt technologies sooner and faster for those people that are willing to, um, to sort of step up and do more. And so it's really changing the way that we operate sort of as an ecosystem within healthcare um, IT. And I, I think that that is, is so incredibly important because it's IT recognizing that it's really solving those business problems that are going to get us the value and the adoption that's required to really get to the maturity levels that we're seeing um, in, in our early work here in Fire. I, I think uh, an analogy which just occurred to me is... Uh getting into my front door. I have uh, a capability of remarkable security if my uh, phone uh, recognizes my facial features and unlocks my door, but sometimes it's just easier to use a key. I'm not ready to throw away the key and rely only on my phone to open my front door, but the future certainly will be where security and safety are embedded within uh, the technology. And uh, uh, this will provide us capabilities that uh, future generations will look and say, you mean you carried around a metal key? How 16th century that was. So fire, fire is much the same way. And when the technologies uh, provide greater capabilities, they'll be embraced because they're more useful. They're safer. And they provide uh, greater instances of uh, the use of the information. I think this is that last point that um, Chuck makes is really important, Ken, because I think that we often in the adoption of new technology or technologies have sort of barriers to access um, that require the new emerging technology to stand to a higher bar or expectation of security and privacy than the current state does. And so we sort of have these circular conversations of what does it really mean for somebody to turn on a fire API and how will that work and how will the data be unleashed and reused? But our current state of art, right, in the industry right now for a lot of this data exchanges, PDF files and that sit on FCC file servers, right, or custom proprietary formats. 
um, that once the data moves from point to point, we really lose all traceability for. So I think that this idea of, you know, us moving up a maturity curve, continuing to see successes with fire in operational settings and all of the frameworks to Chuck's point, sort of the, the frameworks that are going to support sort of raw fire and U.S. core out in the market through work like ONC Fast and others are starting to gain the same level of maturity as base fire does. And that, you know, in five or six years, it'll be, it'll be like, why did people ever write individual lines of code? Aren't there apps that do that for you? It'll be a similar sort of change of that there will just be a way to be able to build services in a much faster, smarter way. And right now we've got really the, I think the best and brightest people in the industry sort of at the middle of um, meeting these initial regulatory deadlines to put fire in place. Um, but also building the the missing or remaining building blocks around scaling that we need to be able to bring um, bring fire out and available for everyone to be able to take advantage of as base technology inside of products and payer provider and other and other you know sort of stakeholder solutions. I think one of the really key examples of this occurred in a, in a very practical sense uh, a short while ago. I had a rare patient who needed a lab test outside of the University of California system. And I asked the national lab company if I could just go to the portal and enter the lab test appropriately. They said I could not. I wasn't registered. And so I had to handwrite on a prescription tablet the lab request. And then they said, where can we fax the results? My response was, um, I don't have a fax machine. Can I look at your portal and get the result? And they said, no, we, we have to fax it to you for security. I went, ah, you're kidding me. And I said, well, how about just emailing it to me using that modern technology of email? They actually tried to fax something to me for seven days in a row on my office phone number, despite telling them that I didn't have a fax machine there. It's very hard to get people to change when they have processes in place and when they have some costs. And I think that's going to be one of the biggest obstacles we face, not the value that uh, FIRE brings to the community. I think there's another angle here. You think about uh, innovative disruption. The status quo finds it hard to believe that after decades of putting what they've got in place, that any new approach will be able to surpass them anytime soon. And we find that with better tools, more modern tools, these new approaches can make a lot of progress very, very rapidly. And I think that's what we're starting to see. Chuck, you have an international hat that you wear, which is both an opportunity and a challenge. Uh, a lot of the discussion that goes on here in the U.S. is U.S.-centric. Could you speak to some of the collaboration that you've seen working uh, around the world and what we can all learn from each other? Yeah, I've been really pleasantly surprised at the embrace of uh, fire in countries around the world not only by the regulatory authorities that are responsible for healthcare information, uh, but also a larger sense by the community. There are some countries, Singapore, Brazil, that have now enunciated, we'll be using FHIR for point-to-point -point health data exchange. Uh, but in other countries around the world, the capabilities that this affords them really has driven adoption. And, and so, 
solutions that have emerged in the national health system in the UK, in uh, the Netherlands, Canada, Australia, Argentina, have really been uh, remarkable for the impact that they've had in the larger community. So the tremendous success that has been driven by very few people in Argentina has spread across Latin America and has had influence in the neighboring countries that recognize that this unique opportunity really can be leveraged. Since its inception, FIRE has been licensed free of charge. We never have asked for uh, payment for the standard, and, and we've had challenges from ISO and other organizations who, who charge for the standards. We've never asked for a royalty payment, and some uh, standards development organizations do that as well. And so we've done outreach countries in numerous languages to inform them how to support this process in their native language and with their uh, native customs. And that has been the exciting change that we've only seen emerge in the last uh, year. Jocelyn? I think that it's, you know, we tend to do U.S.-based work here um, from a point of care partners perspective, you know, with sometimes with our friends from the North. But I do think that sort of this community aspect, if I were going to maybe segue us to our next topic, I think this community aspect and the learning from each other and the convening power, especially given the licensing and open source nature of the FIRE standard, I think has really been game-changing in people's ability to sort of come to the standard and to be able to find places to convene and constructs that UHL7 uses around draft standards and sort of evolving things as they get real-world use and the concept behind the connectathons where people can come together, really, especially, you know, um, you know, if you were to say there's a silver lining from the pandemic, it's this ability that it's really allowed everyone to participate in this virtual world we've been living in over the last year. So this ability for people to come and test and work together, really across country lines, boundaries, and experiment and understand where they can pull their value out, whether it be in app, app level sort of development, or just the pure API development um, has been fantastic to watch. And I think we get to see, you know, in our more US-centric world with the regulatory influences, you know, the the really, I would say, leveling of anyone being able to participate, you know, so Ken pulling on your thread around sort of an innovation model and sort of the conventional wisdom or stasis that we get into in these mature markets, this ability for anyone to be able to pick up and start to build these services and build products and the emerging organizations that we're seeing that aren't the big guys, aren't the traditional vendors that are really gaining market share and solving real-world problems for, you know, payers and providers and patients getting access to their own information, uh, is um, it's remarkable. And it's really, it's exciting. It's been fantastic just to see how quickly people can come to the domain, find the community or the aspect of the community that they really need to to be able to understand what's already happening in their particular area. And if there isn't someone focused on their area, the ability for folks to be able to create communities around their specific business challenges and technology challenges. It's um it's amazing. Uh, Dev Days has gone from sort of this, you know, sort of small community of people getting together a couple of times a year to really this, you know, fully functioning, you know, any topic that you can think of in U.S. healthcare has got sort of a seat at the table at Dev Days, both in the U.S. version and the international version. And it's um it just shows the progress that we're making. 
Well, as we work to wrap up this podcast, uh, Chuck, you mentioned a number of topics where you weren't asking uh, folks for things like uh, certain fees. What would you like to ask the industry and our listeners? What are your calls to action? I uh, have successfully driven a car for a number of decades without knowing anything about the technology. I assume that when I push the button, the car will start or apply the brakes and the car will stop. I don't have to know the thousands of uh, IEEE or other engineering standards that are applied to make my car. But as a community interested in growing fire, its use and capabilities, I want to reach out to the individuals in the broad spectrum of healthcare, research, and analytics to come participate in the process for a growing community of people who need to use FIRE. They have to articulate uh, what they want FIRE to be. They need to participate in the process, not the writing the code or enunciating the capabilities of the FIRE resources, but describing their immediate needs that will change their community. The Fire Accelerator Program has only begun that process. Jocelyn described the remarkable transformation that Da Vinci made on the payer-provider relationship. It was transformed from one of antipathy to we need each other to provide better care at lower cost. There are other communities that have become key elements of uh, the Accelerator Program, like gravity which has developed entire data sets on social determinants of health, which had previously been largely ignored in the healthcare decision process. And others are coming to the table, public health, genomics, and more recently, patient empowerment. Now, again, I don't expect these uh, individuals in these communities to single out their technical experts, but we certainly need the knowledge of the domain in order to make fire more effective and more widely accessible to those communities. Thanks, Chuck. Jocelyn, final thoughts. I think Chuck totally nailed that. I think that to me, when I look at the success that we've had with DaVinci and the other accelerators that Pointing Partners is participating with, it really is that mashup and the, the, the connectedness of the technology subject matter experts paired, you know, the people that understand fire, understand the architecture, uh, architectures that are available, but also paired with that person that actually understands what happens in an operational sense and what those barriers and challenges are and what data is available when and when it's not available so that we really can sort of knock down those walls. We can get the right data at the right time to the right person. And the value that I get to see each of those participants in the community wearing very different hats, having very different skill sets coming to the table and talking to each other about these common problems. It's been meaningful and impactful, not just for the organizations that are going to benefit from the IGs from the implementation guides that are being developed, but also watching the people coming to the industry and the growth of those individuals with their own careers and the leadership that's happening in this early fire community um, is it's amazing. It, it is re- it's really, we're watching, I think the next generation of leadership 
um, within health IT emerging um, from these accelerators and from the um, community uh, that's you know growing exponentially within uh, HL7's fire community. Okay, I want to thank my co-host and colleague Jocelyn Keegan and our special distinguished guest Chuck Jaffe, CEO of HL7 International. Thanks for joining us on this edition of the Dish on Health IT. I hope that you uh, follow us on uh, Apple Podcast, on Spotify, Healthcare Now Radio, the podcast channel, or whatever approach you use for accessing podcasts. If you've been just listening to this podcast, I encourage you to check out our video channel where we have extended versions of these podcasts. And I uh, hope you'll join us again. And uh, just remember that health IT is a dish that's served hot. Is it a challenge to stay on top of interoperability regulations and the flurry of activity with fire accelerators? Email us at interopoutlook at pucp.com to learn more about our new interoperability outlook subscription monitoring service.